0: Daily routine, especially if you were, as we saw last week, a goldsmith or a perfumer, the idea of going out with the work crew each morning, laying uh, bricks, blocks, and and stones, mixing uh, cement, and uh, you know, actually getting calluses on your hands, would be a whole new realm of life for those who would not be normally used to that. Maybe they thought that was great. Hey, finally you're getting my hands dirty, and uh, you know, so on. We're building up some muscles that we're, we don't normally have or need uh, in, in the, in, in the uh, outworking of being a goldsmith or a jeweller. But after a while, things were sort of getting a bit much, getting a bit tired, not used to manual labour perhaps or working out in all weathers. And then we get to chapter 4 and, and we come across resistance. We come across attack. We saw in the, in the first uh, verse there that this, these couple of fellows who sort of led the charge, Sanballat and Tobias, they became furious, furious and, and they started mocking. There was personal attacks going on here. And was, of course the personal attacks, when things you know, degenerate down to that level, it's always sort of the lowest form. And we saw in verse 2 how these couple of fellows spoke before their brethren. You know, they're, they're trying to get uh, build up uh, an attack against the Jews for this whole thing. And and, and they, uh, they're sort of full of bravado when there's people around them. But it's interesting that often those who bring attacks need that support of others around them. And on their own, uh, they're a different story. So in the midst of all of this, Nehemiah starts to pray. We see that in verse four, and he says, hear o, "Hear, o our God, for we are despised." And so he prays to God now, and, and uh, just lays it out to God. And, and essentially, he says, "Lord, you, you you break their teeth. You know, you you deal with them. This is the way I'd like it, but Lord, you deal with it as you see fit." And the attack continues to ramp up back and down in verse eight. They will conspire together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And so that's what's going on uh, in this whole environment that people are getting tired uh, and, and they're getting this attack uh, ramping up against them. And so we get down to verse 10 where we left off last week and, and we read this. Then Judas said, Sorry, Judah, not Judas. Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. So all of this is going on at the same time. Uh, They're having attacks uh, against them. They're being mocked. um, And they're getting tired. Here is the the, the tribe of great kings that would ultimately bring the Messiah. And here they come in, in a discouraged form. Nehemiah and the Jews, they are rebuilding the, the walls and they've been standing strong in the face of all uh, the attack and whatever. They're in this dangerous place. They're halfway, it's sort of the halfway point. There's a lot of progress has been made. The wall is almost continuous as, as they've, they've been building all around. But now they're getting tired. And this is often a very vulnerable place. When you get the work going, whatever it might be, and you make progress and things are looking good, but there's still a long way to go. And then we can get tired. We can get tired in all areas of our life. The strength of the labourers is failing, is the message that came to Nehemiah. It isn't just enough to begin well. There's many a team that is a great first half only to lose in the final minutes that was interesting last week with the uh, all that drama with the (laughs) first round of the Bledisloe Cup wasn't it I mean uh, what a shame eh Australia lost I was gutted about that losing in the last minute like that but anyway (laughs) so we have it but uh, that's the story isn't it you know so often and it's right at the end we can lose The rebuilding work had gone on very well and many obstacles had been overcome, but the job isn't done yet. The game is not over. There's always time to lose, it seems. And so this is where they're at at the moment. They're they're, they're struggling. They're faced with difficulties in all directions. In this message, there's so much rubbish. You know, the work of rebuilding the walls was not only construction, but it was also cleaning and hauling away all the, the rubbish, the trash, the spoil that was in the way. Cleared away so that the, the building could uh, be built uh, so f- foundations could be established before any work begins. The site has to be cleared. And that's not always fun. You go to begin a project, you, you want to be doing stuff that, that looks like you've done something, but so often the first thing you've got to do is dig a hole. You've got to clear the side of the whatever's in the way, and you know as that starts to happen, things get messy, and you can sometimes wonder: Are we getting anywhere at all? We just seem to be, you know, making a mess in our Christian life. Nothing much can be built for God's glory uh, unless the rubbish is swept away as well. Taking out the garbage can be discouraging work, can't it? I'm amazed how much garbage we seem to generate in our house. I don't know what, what it's like for you guys, but you know, it's like I only just took the trash out and then it's, there's another one to go. You know, it's like, where does all this trash come from? And so often in the same, in our lives, you know, we, God is wanting to do a work, but maybe there's some trash we've got to be rid of. In this particular case, and in a physical um, in, environment, of building, you've got to go down before you can go up. And usually, the longer you spend digging in the ground, the, the bigger the building will be. How long does God often work deeply in our hearts before much can be built on top? It was difficult work, for sure. You know, when a structure is completed, you walk around... Uh, looking at great structures, buildings, and you're all struck at uh, how incredible they are. No one really has any idea and looks at them and think, wow, can you imagine all the work that went on underground? Or, or what was it like for those guys that arrived here before uh, and spent their, You know, so many years digging in dirt to build a foundation? No one really looks at that. Only what takes the, the view is what's on top of that. All that work that was unseen. And God works in our lives in a similar way. Working in ways that no one sees. It's often been said, hey, don't judge someone until you've walked in their shoes. You see, that person you might be accusing of all sorts of things, what was their journey like? What have they been through? Years ago, we were in uh, Port Douglas in Australia and it was a nice little uh, town or city if you've ever been there, and, and we were walking around the streets, and, and I noticed these cars sort of rolling into town, with all sorts of odd things added onto them, like uh, s- spare wheels bolted onto the the boot of the car, and 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 other obvious things that you know you might use if you're out camping, sort of stuck in funny places, and 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 they all had sort of weird tires, and I said, man, what what have they got all this stuff on for? driving around the streets you don't need all these things if you're just going down to the supermarket surely anyway it turned out that these cars ha- had been on a on a ex- major excursion around the top end of Australia you know that's quite a major thing and so this was sort of the first arrival back to sort of civilization as it were but if you've just looked at what was there you'd think well what what are these what's the point why have a car like this all this you know junk on it you don't need that. And it struck me that so often we have the same thought. We can make it a, a, a decision or, or a judgment call on someone. We don't know what's brought them to that point, what's been happening in their lives. And, you know, God works in our lives in a very personal way, and he takes us along pathways unique to each one that he may build us up. It's always with a view to building up, to strengthening. And so this is what we see as we look upon this time here. It was a difficult time. There was this amount of rubbish that had accumulated over the years. The city was even more vulnerable than ever. And we can see some people thinking, well, hey, don't take away the rubbish. Our enemies are near and you, may, you might clear a path for them to come in. You know, you, you, There's often excuses given as to why we should leave the rubbish where it is. It was a difficult time because there have always been those who will defend their heap of rubbish no matter how useless it is. Well, you know, my grandmother always did it that way or my grandfather or something, and hey, good enough for them it's good enough for me. When I was a young fellow, there was an old uh, farmer in our, in our region who was well-known. He was well-known because he loved to go to clearance sales. And uh, farming, a farming, farmer's clearance sales are an interesting place. Farmer, you know, he's retiring, he sells his farm, he's got years of junk that he wants to get rid of. Most of it's all worn out. And people come and buy the stuff that they think is, is good. But uh, this one particular fellow was notorious, he was so well known. We he, he, he went to all the clearance sales whenever there was one on, a- and he'd, he'd come away with trader loads of basically someone else's rubbish. But to him, he thought it was value. Oh, I might need that one day. You know, there's an old, you know, half broken down wheelbarrow or something, you know, or an old tractor wheel that's um, buckled or something, you know, uh, some old pump or whatever farm-related bits and pieces. And so he'd come away with a trailer load of stuff. And, of course, on his farm, and I'd been to his place a few times, long driveway up uh, past the cowshed up to the house. And, and as you went up this driveway, there was plenty of room on the side of the track you know, before the the fence or the paddock beside. He'd come up there and he'd drop off his load of stuff that he just purchased. And that's as far as it would go. And as you drove up there, you'd see uh, like a fresh pile of stuff, you know, (laughs) because the rust wasn't too bad on it. And then a bit further on, obviously a bit more weathered, been a bit there longer, a few... Bit of grass starting to grow around it. Then, as you went further along, it's sort of more grass. And then you get to up, you know, further up, and it's just like a mound of grass and weeds. You know, can't see anything under there at all. And it was all the same story, you know. I mean, well, you know, might need it one day. And of course, when he eventually passed away, you can imagine the job it was cleaning all the stuff away before you could sort of see the see the see the side of the driveway. Sometimes we can allow these things to accumulate in our lives and and we need to sort of get rid of them and it's interesting here that that it's it's mentioned that you know they they were tired they were worn out they're having attacks and and we've got all this rubbish we've got to clear away they might have said well can't we just leave the rubbish here and kind of go around it or do something else but so often we maybe have the same argument but god needs to and wants to clear the rubbish away in our lives that he might build something of value And so the heart of the people, as shown in verse 10, must have been a, a, somewhat of a discouragement for Nehemiah. You know, it's easy to lead when, you, when those around you are, are, are full of enthusiasm. They've got a heart to work. But what about when things start to fade like they have for Nehemiah and, and those, they're getting worn out. They're getting tired. They're being attacked. And we get to verse 11. We read this, And our adversaries said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so, (laughs) you know, this this is probably the lowest point in their spirits for those doing the work. Things were already in a bad state. They were discouraged. They were tired. They felt like giving up. And now this plan of the the raid of of these enemies to come and do them physical harm. The plan of this attack, it, it leaked out. You know, the message was leaked on social media. They hear the story, hey, they're going to come and they they want to kill us. They will neither know nor see anything as the message that is is given. It's doubtful that these enemies, of course, knew exactly how discouraged these people were at the time. But certainly the council of spiritual darkness in high places knew, for sure. And we can imagine uh, the spiritual ranks of darkness sort of suggesting to the adversaries of God's people, hey, go, go now and, and, and ramp up that discouragement or that attack. The attacks we suffer from spiritual uh, the, the forces, the battle that we are in, are also timed strategically, I believe. Our spiritual enemies know when we are discouraged, tired, angry, proud, or, or just relying on self-confidence, I don't know about it for you, but there are some, times, some days when it seems everything goes wrong. It never comes in, in order, you know. It's like the, the day the washing machine overflows, floods the house will, will be the day that there's, there's no one there. And, and so um, you try to get in back into the house and just as you get there, the door slams it. The wind slams the door and, and you're locked out and you go for your keys and they're not there because you've realized they're inside as well. Um, so you go to get help somewhere and the battery in the car's flat, that doesn't matter because the tyres are all flat as well, or, you know, on and on it goes. And, and, and it, it's never one at a time, isn't it? It's like some days everything's fine, other days everything is wrong. And it can be a bit like that. Wave after wave of stuff coming against you. The attacks we suffer, I, th- I believe, are a bit like that too. It can, it can be just sort of wave after wave at times. And here we see this example, uh, the message they're giving. Hey, that they're not even going to see nor hear anything. We're just going to sneak in and just wipe them out. They're already tired. They're already discouraged. Remember, at this point, the attack hasn't happened. They're just getting the news for it, about it. And sometimes the news or the, uh, the story or the message is worse than the reality. These enemies wanted to come against them. said, hey, we want to kill them, so the work would stop. Now, of course, (laughs) the enemy has all all sorts of ways of stopping the work. He doesn't necessarily have to execute. For many, uh, the enemy will have all sorts of other ways that can be just as effective, like discouragement. Many of the words that start with D, you know, discouragement, depression, or distress, whatever—all the D words come in there. There's there's uh, frustration, there's trouble. I mean, everything that can be thrown at a person to stop them. And so, what we have in this case, we get down to verse twelve. So it was when the Jews who who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times from. Whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. And so here we have the, the, those who were living around them and heard the story and, and, and came and, and said to them, hey, and it says here 10 times, other translations just says many times, they're going over it. Hey, they're going to come in, They're coming against you. We overheard the plan. We don't know what to do about it, but hey, they're going to come. They want to wipe you out and all the rest of it. And, and, and uh, of course, they were, no doubt, those who brought the message were somewhat panicking by the context here. And they were probably panicking because Nehemiah wasn't panicking. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. Hey, I'm freaking out about this. Well, why aren't you freaking out? And that caused them to sort of become even more panicked. And so here we have verse 13: Therefore I position men. Here's Nehemiah. Here's how we responded. I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And so these verses tell us what Nehemiah did but we can also think of what Nehemiah could have done. What would, you, what would you have done in that situation? Everything's bad. The people are tired. The people are discouraged. And now this message, hey, they're coming, the enemies are coming to get you. Well, Nehemiah could have done nothing. He could have been you know, very spiritual about it all and says, well, brother, we're just trusting in the Lord. We prayed about it. That's it. Now that's a good thing to start for sure. We need to pray, and I believe that's exactly what Nehemiah did. But as we see with Nehemiah, we need to pray, but that's not an excuse for not doing stuff as well. We could have panicked. We could have started thinking about, hey, you know, it's our job to defend this. What are we going to do? And 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 let's all get worried about this. Uh, But what he did do was he wisely and calmly trusted God in the midst of the storm. And he went on and did things that God would have him do. He was a practical guy. And so he had both elements. He he, he had the the commitment to God, but he also had the activity and action. Nehemiah commanded them, hey, bring out the armor. Put on the full armor, get ready to fight. And then he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. He calls them to remember. Nehemiah put their mind into the right perspective. The challenge was great, but there was no reason for fear. He who was in them was greater than he in the world. And he reminded them, are you fighting for your sons, your daughters, your wives? Your houses. At the end of the day, they they wanted to protect their 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 lives, their their homes, uh, and their city. So, what was the result of this? Verse fifteen, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing. That all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. You see, once the enemy saw the defences of the of the Jews, of of the the people of God, they shrunk back. They realised that their scheme had been made known. Maybe they figured, hey, there's a spy in the ranks there. Our mission's been compromised. The message has got out. What the enemies wanted was for the people of God to hand them the victory. And then they realised that, well, these people aren't gonna roll over. And of course, what was the real victory? I believe it's that next phrase all of us returned to work. This was the true victory, I believe. Defending against the attack was was not necessarily the victory. The people of God would not be at peace and security until the war was rebuilt. Hey, getting on with the work was the victory. You know, when we are under spiritual attack, or any form of attack, it's easy to feel that just enduring the storm is the victory. Wow, I survived, you know, and that's good. But really, the attack often comes to prevent your progress and work for the Lord. Victory is enduring the attack and continuing the progress and the work for the Lord. You see, ultimately, the enemy wants to wipe you out, doesn't he? You know, we are in a spiritual battle. The enemy, you know, goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he wants to devour. He wants to, to sort of j- just take control of you. There's no doubt about that. But also, the enemy's just quite happy just to put you into neutral. Back in the day, you know, when I was learning to drive, and in that age of, you know, you're learning to drive a car and all well your mates are the same age and you're all trying to learn together and all doing crazy stuff together of course um, one of the great tricks we used to do on each other it was this was great fun so you'd be in your car and he, your mate's sort of a bit distracted or well you'd distract him and then you just shift the gear stick into neutral while he's sort of looking around he's, he's trying to reverse out you know and he's he's looking behind him and he's wondering why he's not moving and he's revving a bit harder and letting the clutch out and next thing the thing's were revving harder and uh he finally realized he's in neutral not going anywhere and of course this is not the day when all cars were manual you know now it's automatic so all the fun's gone out of life isn't it you know i mean this, this was great fun we'd have it all i got sucked into it plenty of time myself and and of course you know you would <laughs> You, you'd be realizing you're not going anywhere, the engine's revving, and once you sort of become aware of that, everyone in the car is sort of dying in laughter and, and, and and you know, in your haste and you're not sort of that confident, you sort of stick it in the gear, and then you probably stall it as well, and that even makes it for even greater fun. So, But the whole idea was just, pep- just knock it into neutral while he's not noticing, and he's not going to go anywhere. I believe the enemy tries so much and is so effective at times of doing the same thing in our lives. Often we don't notice. We've been bumped into neutral. We're distracted in some other thing and we're not going anywhere. We're not, at that point, aware of it, though. The real victory here is moving forward, continuing on in the work. Well done, good and faithful servant. Surely those, that's the message we want to hear when we finally are in God's presence. Faithful to continue on, to keep on moving. And this is what we see here in, in this uh, this passage as, as truly the victory, and I'm sure the thing that really grated on the enemy was to see that they'd continued on. And so it was, verse 16, From that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall, those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Now, of course, some of the servants did the work of defending, some did the work of building. The workers had a sword at their side and a trowel in their hands to get the work done. And, of course, very much a picture, isn't it, here, of the kingdom of God. It's built with both a sword and a trowel. We we have that phrase quite often, the sword and the trowel. It's a picture of of uh, uh, you know the, the work going on, but you know, the sword, in, in this case, physically was to protect them against the enemy. Surely today, uh, in our life, uh, the sword can represent many things, but one of them, of course, is the Word of God. But the trail to do the work, it's not one or the other, it's both. And that's often the case we struggle with at times. We may have one or the other, but we need both. We need to be anchored and rooted in the Word of God and, and be able to effectively use it Not that we might just sit still, but that we may uh, apply it to our life as as we work out these things in our lives and and, and go about our daily activities, (coughs) that we may do so. With the sword and with the trowel. And so Nehemiah doesn't just stop there. We, We pick them up in verse 19. He says this, I said to the nobles, the rulers and the rest of the people. The work is great and extensive and we're separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we laboured in the work and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people that each man and his servants Stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. And so here we see the result of all this. Nehemiah knew that they had to keep in communication if the work was going to be done. The trumpets were uh, this way of communicating in that day, there to meet the challenge. If a need uh, came apparent, sound the trumpet. We will gather there. Often there are people with needs, but you may not know that. Suffering in silence is, is certainly one way. That uh, Sometimes we, we, we just need to do that as well, but there are other times we do need to sound a trumpet. Say, hey, can, can I have some help? we see here, I think, a, a picture of what that looks like in that particular context. Wherever there was a need, a sound of the trumpet would blast out and the people would gather. We need to be aware of that in the body of Christ as we journey with one another. Sometimes we have needs. Sometimes suffering in silence isn't the best way. We need to put our hand up and say, I need help. And that offer and invitation is always there. Some dedicated themselves to the work all the more when there was those difficulties, when there was a sound of the trumpet. They rallied to the sound. They were prepared. They weren't going to be caught off guard. They were working from sunrise to sundown, spending the night there on the job. Hey, they only took their clothes off to wash them, so I mean they were always ready uh, for action. It's a picture, wasn't it? of always being ready to respond. You know, as we look at these chapters, chapter 3 is all about the work, isn't it? But when we get to chapter 4, we see the results. And some of the results of the work initially was distress and discouragement. We sometimes think, well, we we, we do the work and, and bang, it's all great. But we see here, the first thing they suffered was actually distress discouragement daniel nine twenty five that prophecy talking about the the wall that was it was prophesied that that the wall would be rebuilt uh that a, a an, an edict or a, a command would be given to to begin and that would sort of kick off that uh, the famous seventy week prophecy of daniels but daniel nine twenty five the wall was prophesied to be built in troublesome times. That's a picture of this, isn't it? Building with a, a trowel. So you're, you're trailing on some cement as you're putting that brick in place, but you've also got a, a sword ready to defend because, you know, how can that be a picture of anything other than troublesome times? Hard enough building the wall anyway, but. We've got all this other drama to deal with as well and sure, that's what we see here is that wall being built exactly as was prophesied. We need to be armed with the same attitude today, I believe. Ready. Clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Wearing the armour of God. Not allowing the enemy to find a way in. in. Ready for that trumpet blast. (laughs) Uh, The call together to God. As we look at uh, these passages before us and where we've been the last week or two in this in this part of Nehemiah, the, we see the people had started out well, hadn't they? But unsurprisingly, they they'd become weary. Now that's not hard to imagine. And when they heard of the planned attacks on the enemy, well, things were really looking grim. The enemy was coming against us. He's been attacking us already, but now it's even ramped up further. But do you notice the thrust of Nehemiah's encouragement to them back in verse 14? He says, remember. He says, remember the Lord. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, we can forget things of the Lord. I don't think it's on the same sort of level as, as, you know, just what we would normally associate with with forgetting something. But for some reason, maybe it passes out of our immediate mindset. And we need to be reminded. A lot of what we do as we gather and and encourage and talk and speak and pray and and read scripture is often a reminder of things that we once knew. We still know them. But for some reason they need to be brought to our awareness again. So Nehemiah encouraged them. He encouraged them by remembering. Psalm 23, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, fear comes when we forget God. That's why we often need to be reminded. If the enemy can get us feeling alone or feeling weary or feeling discouraged. Then we become a city a bit like as Jerusalem was, with walls that are broken down. They're working on building up these walls. And of course, it's no coincidence, is it? As they're walking, as they're working on building up the walls that would give them defence, the enemy is attacking them and ramping up their attack upon them you can be sure that uh, as god is working in your life in ways that would make it more difficult for the enemy to get hold of you the enemy will be attacking you even harder but a city without walls easy game for the enemy to just roll in and take over take over our minds our thoughts our actions how we relate to others in every aspect of our lives will be affected, will be thrown off course if we move away from the conscious awareness of God's presence. The shadows can also become a reality in our thinking. That That's um, is a classic how, it's, how, we, how that's detailed. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, often it's the shadow that puts fear into us. Over in Psalm 42, famous uh, fa- Psalm we know it so well. But the Psalmist says at one point, Why are you cast down, on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? So this is kind of interesting, isn't it? Here's the Psalmist having a good old talk to himself. <laughs> It's okay to do that at times. Why are you cast down, O my soul? The psalmist is saying here. Why are you feeling this? Then he says this, hope in God. He's talking to himself, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And he continues on, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you. So he realized that he was feeling a bit down. He was cast down. And he obviously he, he recognized that for whatever reason, whatever happened, he need to now remember. Remember, the, remember God. The psalm continues on and says a few more things and it, it ends up, that psalm, with the same, the same passage. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why have you disquieted, are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance in my God. So not only is he talking to himself, but he's you know, reminding himself many times over of the things that he needs to know. Are you facing trials or, or trouble today? Remember the words of Nehemiah. What did he say? Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. How great is God? Is he greater than your problem? Is he greater than the difficulty that you're facing? Well, if God's great enough to create the heavens and the earth, to create life, he's great enough to deal with the issues that we run across. Nehemiah is a reminder that we don't need to get sidetracked by the shadows of death or the the, the fear of what's around, but rather those times where we need to focus upon God and Christ at our centre, That he would give us the wisdom as we pray, as as Nehemiah is an example of of someone who prayed, but someone who did. He wasn't just one or the other, but he was a man of action also. May we also be reminded today of the greatness and the awesomeness of the God who has saved us. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder through Nehemiah of your greatness. Also, it's a reminder that when we allow the issues around us to overwhelm us, we can be put into neutral. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would bring to, to mind the the ways you have worked in our lives, led us in the past to this day. and If we've slipped into neutral, Lord, I pray that we will re-engage may you draw us closer lord as we need your input in our lives daily may th- this be a day where perhaps we need to pick up the sword we need to pick up the trail and we need to go forward we can get weary we can get tired of the the issues of life and everything around us lord i pray that that, that this also would be a day where you would renew renew that strength Lord I thank you that you know our needs you know our inner most deepest parts and may today Lord you reach into our hearts and minister in a way that only you can may we be strengthened may we, may we be equipped may we go forward realizing that uh, you do that work in us that you may build us not that you may tear us down but Lord that you want to do that work continually in our lives, daily, until we're in your presence. We ask now, Lord, as we take these moments to conclude and worship, Lord, speak to us, or pray. May your spirit minister. May we respond appropriately in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, shall we, and just conclude and worship. Uh, just allow the, the God's message that he has for you to be embedded in your heart this morning. Thank you.